facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to The Kale Clark Show on this Monday. Hope it's a magnificent Monday for you. It is the 15th of January, 2024. We're back once more for another week, and you can call in right now and talk to me for free. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance, making this listener line possible. 888-914-9149. You can also follow me on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And if you do call in, once again, that number, 888-914-9149. I I do want to put a moratorium on anybody calling in to tell me what the score is in the Bills-Steelers playoff game, which was supposed to be yesterday, but because of weather, travel ban in Buffalo, of course, was moved to today. You know I'm a huge Bills fan, and I am a true professional. Probably some of you thought I might even call in sick. I would never do such a thing, ever, ever, ever. I'm a true pro. There is such a thing as a PVR, though, and I'm making use of it. I'm going to be watching the game on tape delay as soon as this show is over. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. But if you tweet at me, I might not see it for a while. I might not see it. I'm going to just uh, go into the man cave and watch the game. But until then, until so if you, if you do call in, you're going to get run by Patrick A. Log, uh, if you try to mention the score on air. But uh, if you want to talk about other stuff, or there's lots to talk about, by all means... 888-914-9149. We'll see how we do with our predictions of the other games that took place this weekend. But of course, the the big news today, uh, maybe some of you haven't heard this, but uh, yesterday, Pope Francis uh, did a TV interview in Italy, one of the most popular shows in Italy. It's watched by millions and millions of people uh, Sunday night. It's called, now, my my Italian is just absolutely terrible. Che tempo, che fa. Now, I'm sure I butchered that completely, so uh, you native Italian speakers out there can uh, disabuse me of my mispronunciation of the name of that show, but apparently it's incredibly popular. Uh, And Pope Francis uh, was on that show last night, and he had an interview that lasted more than 50 minutes. And one of the things that's making news about his, his interview last night was his comments on hell. And here's what he he actually said. He he was asked if he really believes that God forgives everybody who asks him for forgiveness. And the Pope said, quote, it's difficult to imagine it. What I would say, uh, you know, he's, he's talking about hell. It's difficult to imagine it. What I would say is not a dogma of faith, but my personal thought. I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is. End of quote. End of quote. So he, he's, he, just to clarify a couple of things, he said this is not a dogma of faith. He's not talking about dogmatic faith here. This is his personal thought. He says, I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is. And certainly nobody could fault him for hoping that hell, anybody with a, with a heart would, would hope that somehow, somewhere, everyone repents at the last moment and nobody's there. I don't think that's the case. But the hope, I mean, certainly it's, it's, a, it's a solitary thought to hope this. The, the question is, is it really? Uh, Fabio, Fabio Fazio, who is the host of the program, 
He then asked the Pope about a whole bunch of other stuff, which we probably will not have time to get into tonight. But he also asked him about his conviction that God never tires of forgiving people, but people tire of asking for God's forgiveness. And the Pope said, quote, The Lord waits for us. He knocks at the door of many hardened hearts so that they will have the ability to recognize the wrong they are doing. End of quote. And then Fazio asked the Pope about the phrase in the act of contrition, the classic act of contrition, which says this, quote, I detest all my sins because of thy just punishments. So he's essentially asking him, what about the punishments in this line? And the Pope said, quote, sin deserves punishment, but he says that the, quote, literary expression in the classic version of the prayer is too harsh given God's love. The Pope said, I prefer to say, because by sinning I have saddened your heart, end of quote. Now, I'm just going to interject here. Obviously, this is a great motive to avoid sin. Not, not The best motive is not, I'm trying to avoid punishment, I'm trying to avoid an eternal hell. Just like the best motive for not committing adultery is because you love your wife, not because you want to avoid the fires of hell. But having said that, what about the idea of just punishments? Anyway, anyways, we'll get into this in just a second, but I just want to just uh, throw in one more thing that Pope Francis said sort of along these lines. It was about uh, being a priest and a bishop in the confessional. Pope Francis said, quote, In my 54 years of priesthood, I've been a priest for 54 years. I'm old, he said. This is a confession. In those 54 years, I've only didn't, sorry, I've only denied forgiveness once because of the person's hypocrisy, just once. I've always forgiven everything, even when I knew the person could fall again, but the Lord forgives us. He helps us not to fall or to fall less, but he always forgives, end of quote. Okay, so those are his comments that he made about uh, hell, whether anybody's there. He certainly, he hopes that there isn't. But what does the Catholic Church actually teach about hell? Great question. 888-914-9149. Well, I think we should probably go to the catechism. That's probably the the smartest thing to do here. And there's a section on hell which begins with paragraph 1033 in the catechism. And by the way, you can find the catechism online. Uh, There are free versions of this online if you don't have the actual book. We can certainly order it. Pretty inexpensive. Amazon, other outlets. But paragraph 1033, it says this, We cannot be united with God unless we freely choose to love him. But we cannot love God if we sin gravely against him, against our neighbor, or against ourselves. Now, when the Catechism talks about sinning gravely, it's obviously referring to mortal sin, what the Scripture refers to as the sin that leads to death. And in the letters of St. John, it talks about sin that leads to death, and then there's not sin that lead, there's sin that does not lead to death. It's still bad, it's still sin, but it does not lead to the death of one's relationship with God. And that would be mortal sin. So it goes on to say this, and this is, a, this is a quote from Scripture itself from 1 John. He who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. End of quote. And that's from 1 John, uh, once again, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Catechism goes on to say, Our Lord warns us that we shall be separated from him if we fail to meet the serious needs of the poor and the little ones who are his brethren. 
to die in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful love means remaining separated from him forever by our own free choice. This state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed is called hell. So the Catechism makes a, a couple of really important points here that people go to hell by their own free choice. It's not so much that God sends people to hell, but people send themselves there by choosing, A, not to repent, and not asking God for, for forgiveness. And C.S. Lewis, um, great convert to Christianity, uh, never did become Catholic, but he held a lot of Catholic ideals. He did say that the door to hell is closed and locked from the inside. And that's, that's a very famous phrase from Lewis. And I think this is a, the catechism's way of putting it. To die in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful love means remaining separated from him forever by our own free choice. And so people, people wonder sometimes why God didn't create us as robots who would always obey his will. I, I, speaking of robots, I, I saw the, there was a, an interesting video on X that was posted earlier of the Tesla bot Optimus. This is very much like iRobot, and, and hopefully they won't try to take over the world, but the Tesla bot folding laundry, folding T-shirts, um, that looked pretty good to me because uh, my wife will attest I, I, I'm not very good at folding T-shirts, meaning I never do it. Uh, I'm all for the bots, but God did not create us as Optimus bots when it came to doing his will. He gave us free will, even knowing the tragic results that could potentially occur and that do occur because of this. And the way God sort of looked at this, I believe, is, is he, you probably heard this line, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. He's willing to take the risk because in order for, for us to truly love God, there has to be freedom involved. And if there's freedom involved, there is the potentiality for sin and even very, very serious sin. So that, that's one thing that the, that the Catechism actually says about hell in paragraph 1033. And then in pa paragraph 1034, it gives sort of the biblical angle of this in a certain sense. And there's, there's other verses that talk about, about hell and its eternality. But Jesus spoke about this place called Gehenna. It says in paragraph 1034, Jesus often speaks of Gehenna or the unquenchable fire reserved for those who to the end of their lives refuse to believe and be converted, where both soul and body can be lost. Jesus solemnly proclaims that he will send his angels and they will gather all evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire. That's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. Jesus also says that he will pronounce the condemnation. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. And that's Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. And that's the famous sheep and goats passage. And Jesus mentions there the Again, the eternal nature of hell. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. Next paragraph. And there, this is a good little section here. There, there are many other paragraphs in the Catechism that, that touch on hell. I'll just, just read a couple more here. Paragraph 1035 says, The teaching of the church affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. Immediately after death, the souls of those who die in a state of mortal sin descend into hell, where they suffer the punishments of hell, eternal fire. The chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God, in whom alone man can possess the life and happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. 
And uh, there's kind of a, a link here to another, another paragraph in the Catechism, paragraph 393. It talks about the fall of the angels and, and how they, they, they can't repent. Uh, it says that the, the, the angels have an irrevocable choice that they've made because of their, their character, the fact that they are eternal. It says the irrevocable character of their choice, not a defect in the infinite divine mercy that makes the angels' sin unforgivable. It's not that God has any kind of problem with his mercy. It's that there's no repentance for them because they are eternal in nature, just as there is no repentance for human beings after death. That's why it's so important to be in a state of grace. And if you get out of it, to go to confession as quickly as possible. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. All right. So let's just um, continue on on this, on this vein. Paragraph 1036 of the Catechism says this. The affirmations of sacred scripture and the teachings of the church on the subject of hell are a call to the responsibility incumbent upon man, of course by man it means men and women, of course, to make use of his freedom in view of his eternal destiny. They are at the same time an urgent call to conversion. And then there's a quote from our Lord, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And that's from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Of course, that's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was asked by his disciples at, at, at different points, So, oh, Lord, will many be saved? And he's like, just strive to enter by the narrow gate. I'm not going to give numbers here. I'm not going to give you stats. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. Don't worry so much about what everybody else is doing. Focus on your own relationship with me. Steer clear of sin. If you do fall into sin, return to me quickly. Very much like at the end of the Gospel of John, as Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is walking on the beach with John and Peter. And Peter is saying to Jesus, Hey, what about what about what about John? What about this guy? You know, Jesus just got done telling Peter, Hey, I've forgiven you. You have the threefold restoration, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. One day, you're going to be led to a place where you don't want to go. In other words, you are going to to give your life for me as well. And we know that Peter was crucified upside down. And Jesus said to him, when you were young, you tied your belt around your waist, went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, someone else will tie a belt around your waist and take you where you do not want to go. And Peter says, what about that guy you know, walking behind us? What about John walking on the beach here? And Jesus says, hey, if I want him to, to remain, to live until I come back, you know, what, what is that to you? You must follow me. So we can't get too worried about the stats. God doesn't grade on a bell curve here. We've got to get into that narrow gate. And then uh, the Catechism gives a, another scriptural quote here. Uh, actually, no, excuse me. It's not a scriptural quote. It's from Lumen Gentium, which is a really important document on the church from Vatican II. It says, Since we know neither the day nor the hour, we should follow the advice of the Lord and watch constantly so that when the single course of our earthly life is completed, we may merit to enter with him into the marriage feast and be numbered among the blessed and not, like the wicked and slothful servants, be ordered to depart into the eternal fire, into the outer darkness, where men will weep and gnash their teeth. Okay, so... Really, really important clarification 
in the next paragraph. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. This is really important because, and, and I dealt with this a lot during my years apart from the Catholic Church and the Protestant world, dealt with a lot of people from a Calvinist background, I even served actually in a in a, in a Reformed church for a while, a Calvinist congregation. Not, not that I bought into the theology, but um, they have a hardcore Calvinists have a, a doctrine of double predestination that God predestines some people to go to heaven and predestines other people to go to hell. And I'll, I'll tell you, I took a course on this when I was doing my grad studies, and I read a very convincing book about this that was quoting scripture all over the place, and it made it a really compelling case, a really compelling case for this doctrine based on scripture alone or a certain interpretation of scripture. This is why the magisterium of the church is so important, the teaching office of the church, because I can make the Bible say almost anything I want it to by taking verses, cherry-picking verses here and there out of context. I could really make a good argument. Arius did this, the worst heretic in the history of the church, over this question of, is Jesus God? That's essentially what it was all about. Necessitated the Nicene Creed, the Council of Nicaea. He was eventually condemned as an arch-heretic, but he got almost over half of the bishops in the church worldwide to believe his lie. So we have to be extremely careful with this. But anyways, this this doctrine of predestination, Catechism deals with this in paragraph 1037. God predestines no one to go to hell. No one. So there you have it. For this, a willful turning away from God, a mortal sin, is necessary and persistence in it until the end. In the Eucharistic liturgy and in the daily prayers of her faithful, the church implores the mercy of God who does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Since quoting Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that's where it says that, that God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everyone to repent. So just some paragraphs there, uh, paragraphs 1033 to 1037, and what the Catholic Church actually teaches about hell. All right, uh, let's go to the phones right now. Triple I know you guys have some thoughts on this. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go to Anne in Orange County. Hello, Ann. Hello, I'm calling to find out if you are a Protestant and you are disallowed to go to confession. Then, what hope is there for you if you have committed mortal sin? And as Protestants think, you could just ask God for forgiveness. Is that not true? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question, Anne. What 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 would somebody do who's who's a non-Catholic? In the in the specific case you mentioned, was a Protestant Christian, a non-Catholic Christian, no, an Orthodox Christian as well, to be more specific. Who if they don't have access to the sacrament of confession in the Catholic Church, how on earth can they obtain forgiveness? Well, a couple things I would say to that. Number one, God is not bound by His own sacraments. God can forgive people outside of the sacrament of confession, even for mortal sin. Um, now, the normative way to be forgiven, if let's say you're a, you're a Catholic Christian, you've committed a mortal sin, the normative way to deal with that is to first repent, go to confession, um, receive that sacrament, and then you can carry on with, with, your, with your sacramental life. And I, I sometimes get, got this question when I was teaching RCIA from people who are what we call catechumens. They, they, they buy into Christ, the Catholic Church, but they're not yet Catholic. They haven't been baptized. They're at the Easter Vigil. Or, or let's say they are baptized. Let's say they're 
Protestant Christians or, or maybe even Orthodox Christians who have come to believe that the Catholic Church really is the church founded by Christ. And they say, well, what happens to me if I'm unbaptized, let's say, and I get hit by a truck before the Easter Vigil? I don't have a chance to be baptized. I don't have a chance to get to the sacrament of confession. Well, guess what? God can act outside of the sacraments. And it's it, you haven't been baptized yet. It's not your fault. It's not time yet. He can he can he can deal with that and and that's why the church says there's there's three kinds of baptism there's baptism of water and the spirit sacramental baptism that's a normal way and then there's baptism of blood martyrdom and there's also baptism of desire so they would fall under baptism of desire in that case so I, I would say that that would be one thing that, that that I would say that God can act outside of the sacraments but the other thing I would say and I don't know and Anne, I'm going to ask a personal question and you you. I mean, it's up to you whether you want to answer this or not. Are, are, you, are you a Protestant Christian yourself, or are you asking this question yes. for yourself? Yes, and my daughter asked. She actually called a Catholic church and asked if she could go to confession. They said, no, you can't. Go talk to a Lutheran minister. Yeah, I would say, well, <laughs> I'd say that maybe isn't the, the greatest PR I've ever heard from a Catholic church. Like maybe, hey, would you like to learn more about Catholicism? That, that's, that's what I would say, probably, and, and try to have that conversation now I have, I have heard that if you are if you are baptized and let's say you are in danger of death, you are properly baptized. That there is a potential for a Protestant Christian to be to receive the sacrament of confession. I, I would say this also, though, if if somebody believes that the sacrament of confession is real, then why not just become Catholic? So I, I don't know. I don't know if you're at that point, Anne, or whether you're still kind of investigating. But w- what would you say to that? Well, there's investigation going on in some reservations about things, mm-hmm. and it also you have to be on the right track and start onto the train at like August or September. And if you miss that, then you have to wait till the following year. So then, what are you going to do? Yeah, that that's that's uh, yeah, that's almost another kettle of fish there for sure, and and. The way that the way that RCIA is done in a lot of parishes, uh, the class of people take to to become Catholic. Very often, it is only once a year. Some places do it year round, but it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare, and I, I do think that we need to be somewhat more flexible and creative in, in these situations because, yeah, it, it is it is tough sometimes logistically speaking. But I also do believe that that where there's a will, there's a way. There's also other potentialities for private instruction, maybe through a priest or something like that, uh, if you ask around. But uh, yeah, I, I'd encourage you, and to, to stay on that journey, just to, to keep asking your questions. And I'm super glad that, you're, that you've called in, that you're listening to the show. And uh, I'm always super excited to hear that there are non-Catholics listening, people from different faith backgrounds or have no faith completely. And uh, I love the fact that you guys listen to the show and call in and... Um, I hope I hope that helps a little bit, Anne, in, in your journey as you as you carry on. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome, Anne. That was Anne in Orange County. Well, we will be right back. Got to take a quick break right now. We're up against it, but we'll be right back. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Scale Clark Show on Relevant Radio.
This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. We're talking about the Pope's comments on Italian TV last night when he said that he hopes that hell is empty. And we, we kind of talked about what the church teaches about hell, the catechism reaffirming the eternality of it, um, how to avoid it, most importantly. And you guys have some takes on this as well. 888 So we're going to get back to your calls in just a second. So if you're on the line, please stay there. 888 But as you might know, we had a big snowstorm in the Chicago area on Friday. Had to actually shut down the worldwide headquarters of Relevant Radio for everybody's safety. So we did not get to do what we usually do on Fridays, but producer Jim has done a bang-up job once again of pulling this together. We don't want to waste it. So in case you missed anything from last week, here's a little snippet. A little, I guess you could say, like a Tide Pod. It's very concentrated. It's called The Week That Was on The Kale Clark Show. Check it out. Do you know your own baptism date? Pope Francis actually said, if you don't know the date of your baptism, you need to look it up so that you can celebrate the anniversary of becoming a child of God and heir to the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to David in California. Thanks for taking my call. So listening to your show yesterday, I uh, decided to try and find out when my baptismal date was. Mm -hmm. So I gave that parish a call today and they informed me of the date. I was baptized two days after I was born. And the reason was they considered it an emergency baptism because I had contracted some kind of a uh, infection. And I never realized that my parents had thought that I might not make it. And so I was baptized actually in the hospital. And it really made me joyful that I I now know the date of my baptism and I can celebrate it along with my birthday. Father Robert Gall is my guest today. For the first time on the program, we're talking about Pope Francis' viral comments on surrogacy, calling it exploitation, trafficking, a grave violation of the dignity of women and children. Of course, what we believe is every human being is a gift from God. Every human being is an image of God. However we were produced, let's say, however we came about, if we came about through the plan that God has designed, which is that of the marital embrace of love, or if it was through this kind of possessive technical process that supplants the marital act, that person who results, that child, is always infinite dignity and is an image of God. They must be loved really as an end in themselves and for their own sake, which is how all good parents love their children. You know, we can use technology, we should use technology. In fact, the church is probably the organization in the world, the institution that most encourages the development of science insofar to really help fertility. Not supplant fertility, but to assist fertility. How do you make small talk? Because we do have to do this a lot. And maybe you felt very nervous about this, uh, going to Christmas parties, office parties, whatever. Let's go now to Jared in Utah. Hi, Jared. Yeah, I was a Protestant pastor who recently just got confirmed at the Christmas Eve vigil. And so I have an undergrad in political science, and I have a uh, master's degree in divinity, so theology. (laughs) So the two things you're not supposed to talk about, I know a lot about. Biggest advice I could give with that is, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm -hmm. So you're right. You, You build trust on something that you're there for, and then... Then you can bring that into the conversation, but bring it in at their level. Don't try to go too over their head, and you'll find better common ground. I want to welcome in 2002 NFL MVP, Rich Gannon is my guest. Rich, thanks for taking the time today. Kale, it's great to be with you, my friend. 
As you know, I say this all the time, I'm a big fan of the show. Relevant Radio is important to me uh, and my family. Rich, of course, the Bears are owned by Virginia McCaskey, who just turned 101. Mama Bear, like you, she's a great fan of Relevant Radio, listens all the time. The Bears, once again, for the second year in a row, they once again own the number one pick in the draft. What do you think they're going to do? I think they'd be making a mistake not to draft a quarterback. Just look at the Packers. When they had Brett Favre, they used the first-round pick on Aaron Rodgers. That one turned out okay. When they had Aaron Rodgers, they used the first-round pick on Jordan Love. And, Cal, I don't know how you feel, but Jordan Love got off to a little bit of a slow start but really played well in the second half of the season. So I just think the Bears would be foolish not to use that first-round pick to create more competition in the quarterback room Mm. in Chicago. My thanks to Rich. And by the way, he said that before Love wins, before Love torched the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. My goodness, how about that? What? Man, he, I think he has it's like 25 touchdowns and one interception in his last nine games. Unbelievable second half in playoffs so far by Jordan Love. And my thanks to Rich Gannon, Father Robert Gall. Great guests last week, great shows last week. If you missed any of those episodes, you can get them on the relevant radio app New version just came out, just dropped. You're going to love it. So check out the archives of The Kale Clark Show and download the podcasts and listen to them anytime. My thanks to producer Jim Shaper and, of course, Miranda Sinaceros. Give him a big assist on the week that was. All right. Well, let's get back to your phone calls right now. 888 Let's go to Bev in Southern California. Hi, Bev. Hey, Kale. How are you? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for calling in from beautiful SoCal. Beautiful SoCal. <laughs> sure thing. Um, I just wanted to give a call to the last caller, Anne, I believe her name was, Morris yes. County. Um, so we help out at the uh, RCIA at our parish, and um, I'm, I'm not sure where she's from, but I'm pretty mm. sure if she were to um, inquire at a couple of parishes, I know some are different, but... Um, we would love to have her and her daughter just come in and sit in and kind of just, like, check out, get a feel for it before they take the plunge if they wanted to in the OCIA or the RCIA classes. Um, they do typically start in August and September, um, but our doors are always open to anyone who's inquiring or who would want to know or just come in and ask questions and kind of find the community and really see what the Catholic faith is about. Um, I'm sure other parishes would do it as well. I'm just not sure where she's from. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. Thank you so much, Bev. Really appreciate you calling in. And it's so great that that open-door policy is there. I almost feel like every Catholic should go through RCIA at one level or another. And when, when, I, um, when I taught it at my local parish along with some of, some of the priests that were there, we kind of rotate through the classes. And we, we, we had the same sponsors come back like year after year after year after year. And they just they loved it just because they, they got a refresher on the faith all the time. And we need that. We absolutely need that. We need to be reminded of what we believe and why. It's one of the reasons why we have relevant radio. It's not just to evangelize the world, but sometimes it's to re-evangelize ourselves as Catholics and remind ourselves about these eternal truths. 888 Let's go now to Heidi in Phoenix. Hi, Heidi. Oh, hi, Kale. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah, sure can. Awesome. Thank you. I'm outside walking around. I just wanted to, um, same thing, follow up with Anne that just called in. Um, I also want to say thank you. I was probably in her boat, not exactly last year, but probably a year and a half ago. I never would have seen myself becoming Catholic, even though my husband is, and that's a whole story. 
Um, mm. but he used to have relevant radio on all the time. So you, you were actually a big part of that. But, um, oh, wow. when I finally felt like the Lord really just opened the door and it was time to go, <laughs> it mm. was pretty late in the, in the game. Mm-hmm. And the parish was so wonderful. You know, I had done so much studying and stuff on my own. They said, you know, you're, you're actually, you're welcome to come in. I started in January and was confirmed at Easter, but you can, I mean, they also uh-huh. would encourage you to go through the whole thing and mm-hmm. you don't have to commit. You can go through it as a learning and discerning process too. So I would just say to Anne, my gosh, you know, just inquire and who knows if you got to know from one place, try another one, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, well, so you, you were on the sort of the one semester track. I like that. And, uh, but I said, hey, you can come back and, and, and take those classes that you missed next fall. And I, mm-hmm. I do think I do think for a lot, we need to sort of rethink how we do this. And, and the church is, is such a, a monolithic organization in certain ways. And if you live in a big city, a big archdiocese, it, there's so much variance in terms of the quality of the instruction, not only in RCIA, but in, in all different types of sacramental instruction, in pre-cana classes, pre-marital classes, uh, in first communion classes for kids and confirmation classes, it just it's all over the map, and and I, I don't know what to do about that. Whether whether it's better at the local level, just to sort of let every individual parish kind of tackle it themselves, or whether there needs to be a, a sort of a, a program that's that's sort of set for them by the diocese. I don't know how to, I don't know how I would approach it if I was a bishop. I'm thankful I don't have to make those decisions, but but all I all I do know is that what we can do is what we can do, and we all have to get involved somehow in, in this great mission of evangelization, which is so important for us t- to do. And, and, and I think it does, Heidi, thank you so much for that call. I really, really appreciate you calling in. I'm so glad that Relevant Radio was a big part of, of the journey that you guys have had spiritually. And, and call back, please, anytime. Great, great phone call from Heidi in Phoenix. And, and, and this, this, this kind of ties it back into the whole topic of the reality of what can happen if if we don't get right with God? This is a huge spur for evangelization. The, the fact that there is no guarantee that we you know we can talk about baptism of desire, and we've talked about it a lot on this program for sure. But the church is never meant to say that baptism of desire is an automatic in to the kingdom of heaven, because it, it's the church says it's possible for people who are unbaptized to go to heaven. And it is possible, but it's a, it's a way tougher journey, and it, and it may not happen for them. Um, again, back to Peter Crave, the 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 image of flying from New York to L.A. It's a lot easier than driving, or certainly easier than walking. And so, when you when you when you have the sacraments, you're able to fly. You have the best helps that you can get to get to your destination. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, triple eight nine one four. Nine one four nine. All right, let's um go. You know it is what it is, right? Okay, all right. I guess you didn't hear my no spoiler uh, plea at the beginning, but uh, I'm watching the game on tape delay. So, so uh, anyways, we uh, that's my fault. I should have reiterated that. But anyways, Nick, Nick, carry on, carry on. What's your question? Um, I worry sometimes about how even some Catholic media portrays Pope Francis and. He'll say something, you know, that's not contrary at all to, you know, Dr. Neven specified this wasn't a dogma. And it's like you specified earlier, it's not contrary to the catechism at all. But, you know, the media will twist it and all that. I I personally uh, gravitate to 
uh, Pope Benedict's thoughts on the uh, question of hmm. how many are saved. In uh, I, I would highly recommend everybody reading Space Salvi, his encyclical, uh, where wow. he articulates, you know, he seriously questions whether the majority of people will end up in hell, but um, it's very parsed out. And, of course, it's Pope Benedict, so it's very theologically um, uh, well thought out. So yeah. that's, that's the one I tend to gravitate to. So that, that was just my comment on that. Yeah, Nick, I, I appreciate that call. really do appreciate that. Mentioning Pope Benedict, of course, the clarity of Benedict's thought is unbelievable. And, and he was such an incredible teacher. And anything you can get your hands on by Pope Benedict, his encyclicals, his Jesus of Nazareth series of books, I mean, they, they are well worth reading. And, uh, wow, he just I, I just love reading Pope Benedict. He is definitely my favorite pope to read uh that um, certainly in my lifetime but i just i just wow huge fan huge fan and space albie yeah, i've talked about it recently um and uh i, I think it was i think it was maybe on the um on the faith explain program i went into a little bit of depth on on space salvi and some of some of the points that he that he brings up there it's really really good and of course space salvi has to do with yeah I did because it was it was in reference to the letter to the Romans because it's really a quote from St Paul's letter to the Romans we are saved in hope in this hope we are saved and on the Faith Explained show right now we're going through St Paul's letter to the Romans we took a little break today because a recording schedule got kind of waylaid by the snowstorm so we actually did an interesting thing on uh, is asking Mary for her intercession is that a biblical thing to do that's an important question because. Catholics get a lot of questions about that. What, what about this idea of asking Mary to pray for you? The way that we say it sometimes isn't super helpful. We say we're praying to Mary. That's not really what we're doing. We're praying through Mary. We're asking her to pray for us. But is it biblical? That was on today's episode of The Faith Explained. Catch it on the relevant radio app. But, but yeah, tomorrow we're back at Romans, getting deep into it once again. And uh, Pope Benedict Space Salvi really does dive deep into that into that topic, and uh, well worth reading for your spiritual reading. Great, great thing to do. Great call by Nick. All right, you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Something else I wanted to talk about today, and I wanted to highlight something called the Fast for Life, which Relevant Radio is deep, deep into. How you can get involved. We're going to tell you about it. After the break, got to take a quick, quick break right now. 888-914-9149. Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the show. 888-914-9149 is the number two call to talk to me for free. 888-914-9149. Of course, today is also Martin Luther King Day in the United States. It's a holiday for some of you. Written an interesting piece, actually, by Kathy Schiffer uh, for the National Catholic Register, writing about how, really, Martin Luther King Jr. was, was kind of a Thomist. He was kind of a, without even, you know, being a Catholic, he, he definitely knew of, of the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas and also St. Augustine, if you can believe that. And this comes through in his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. And it's kind of interesting because uh, obviously he was dealing with civil rights and the greatest civil rights movement of our time is the pro-life movement. 
And so Kathy Schiffer kind of links what King is saying uh, back in the 1960s to the situation today. And what, what, what does St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine have to do with it? Well, I'll let you know. So here, here's a quote from uh, King's famous letter from a Birmingham jail uh, that he wrote on April the 16th, 1963. Martin Luther King Jr. said, quote, One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that, quote, an unjust law is no law at all, end of quote. Then King goes on to write this. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. End of quote. So that's from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail from April of 1963. And by the way, when he says any law that uplifts human personality is just, he's talking, he's really talking about the human person, the dignity of the human person. He's not talking about whether you have a sanguine personality when he, when he mentions personality. It's just kind of a, kind of a way of speaking. So this is, the, this is the interesting question that Kathy Schiffer asks. Was he a Thomist? Was he a devotee of St. Thomas Aquinas? Well, kind of, yeah. Because, of course, Aquinas, who was a 13th century philosopher, theologian, the angelic doctor, as it were, he argued that laws can bind a person's conscience and obligate a person to obey that law only if that law conforms to the eternal law, the eternal law of God. So in the Summa Theologica, he talked about this, that you can obey laws only when they conform to eternal law and when that eternal law is self-evident. Uh, the universal principles of practical reason, natural law. And it's kind of interesting also to, to mention St. Paul's letter to the Romans. He, he talks about that at the beginning of the book. He's like, look, nobody has an excuse when it comes to the God question because even God reveals himself through the natural law, through natural revelation, even if you don't have any supernatural revelation, even if you've never seen a Bible or darkened the door of a church. At any rate, let's continue on. So how do you, how do you know when a law is just? Well, Aquinas said a law is good uh, when it has these three things. Number one, it's got a good end, it has a good author, and it has a good form. So it has to be oriented towards a good end. It has to be ordered to the common good of all people. It's got to have a good end. It's also got to have a good author. It can't exceed the jurisdiction of the one who imposes it, and it's got to have a good form. It can't place disproportionate burdens on anybody involved. So Aquinas said a law is unjust in any of these ways, if it's, if it's kind of wrong on any of these points, if a law is ordered not to the common good, but only to the private good of those who impose it. You know, it's true for me, but not for thee, that kind of thing. Um, 
if it exceeds the authority of those who impose it. They're kind of, they're, they're way, way, way out, out of their jurisdiction here. Or number three, it puts disproportionate burdens on anybody in the, in the community. And Aquinas says, look, if, if, if a law is a bad law, it's more like an act of violence than a law. So an unjust law, just like St. Augustine taught, is no law at all, really. And the only way that you could really advocate obeying an unjust law is if it's clear that disobeying it would lead to even worse evils than obeying it. And that would have to be really, really clear. So it's interesting. So Martin Luther King Jr. is, is kind of a Thomist, and he, he basically was talking about the nonviolent civil rights movement. And he said, look, we've got to follow these four stages Number one, collection of facts to determine whether there really is an injustice. Number two, we've got to try negotiation to resolve the matter peacefully. Number three, self-purification. We've got to prepare ourselves for nonviolent direct action. Because the, the, the natural human tendency is always to want to fight back. And number four, there's got to be direct action through nonviolent means. So collect the facts, try to negotiate, peaceful solution. If that doesn't work, purify yourself and then direct action through nonviolent means. So Dr. King said that civil rights protesters in 1963, they were not offending God when they broke unjust laws, when they sat at lunch counters or refused to give up their seats on the bus like Rosa Parks. And he was citing Thomas Aquinas. He said that any law that degrades human personality, and by that he means the dignity of the human person, is unjust. That's why segregation statutes were unjust, because they distorted the soul, damaged the personality, he said. And it's also um, interesting to note that uh, many of you have heard of her, Dr. Alveda King. She's the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. She's very involved in the pro-life movement. And and she always says that her uncle was pro-life. And if he were alive today, if he saw the fallout from Roe versus Wade, he certainly would have rejoiced when it fell last year. He would have applied that same logic from St. Thomas Aquinas to this, which is obviously the greatest social justice issue of our age, the right to life. And that's why we're going big time this year once again with the Fast for Life. And you can use this hashtag on social media, hashtag Fast for Life. Uh, Obviously, last year uh, and the year before were huge years for the pro-life cause. And we celebrated the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We continue to pray for an end to abortion in every state of the union all over the world. The March for Life, don't forget, will be here before you know it, Friday, January the 19th. So you can join in from wherever you may be. Even if you can't make it to Washington, you can pray using the hashtag fast for life And you can actually sign up at relevantradio.com slash fast and tell us how you're going to participate in this. And you're going to get our free booklet, The Choice is Love, which we're going to send to you so that you can help answer some of the questions that people might have about the pro-life movement, uh, people have been fed all kinds of misinformation about it. And uh, it's, this is a great little booklet to equip you with the compassion and church-grounded teachings that you need to help people. So go to hashtag Fast for Life on social media. Use that as a hashtag and go to relevantradio.com slash fast to sign up. And let me just tell you how one of our listeners is participating in this, how they're going to engage in the Fast for Life. Suzanne from Vista, California says this, Quote, I'm going to fast from chocolate and cussing when I get mad. That's a hard one for me, end of quote. Hey, I concur. I concur. I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's easy to have those visceral reactions. So we, we can fast from a lot of things. You know, we can fast from 
colorful language. We can fast from criticism. We can fast for um, all from all kinds of different things, and um, that's what we got to do. All right. Ah, let's go to Tyler in Pismo Beach, California. Hi, Tyler. Hey, how you doing, Kyle? Good, good, good to hear from you. Um, I just kind of was thinking about, I mean, I like, I was just listening to what you said about Thomas Aquinas and laws and uh, reading him and reading Deuteronomy and Leviticus and stuff like that as a artist, I can really appreciate those laws as in terms of there's an objective reality to art. And I'm struggling to find where, like, a modern sense of art that's not like, you know, art is so political, you know, mm-hmm. like dealing with abortion and, and Martin Luther King, like, I can see, like, the, a popular art uh, kind of thing of a more liberal bent that would be in museums, like a postmodern thing would exist there. But in the Catholic Church, I'm looking for, you know, you know, kind of the beauty that we had in the Renaissance yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm not saying going back, but ushering in a new Renaissance and, and where does that kind of fit in with kind of like a Pope that is, you know, very humanitarian, very about the poor and stuff like that. Mm. Wow, that, it's it's kind of a tough question, question Tyler. For for one, and by the way, thanks so much for calling in. And I I do, I do really believe in the transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty, and their ability to draw people into uh, the beauty of Catholicism. And, and and I do think art is a big part of it. Um, I know at some level that art, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But I I'm a huge fan, and I am I am I am sort of an uh, you know, I'm a rube and a noob when it comes to art. I, I am not. I, I have friends who are members of the Vatican. They're patron of the arts programs, and they're they're art historians. My friend, Father Eric Nikolai, he's great at this. I, I love the classic stuff. I love the Baroque period. I, I they say if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. I love it. I, I say bring it on, man. We we need more Baroque. I, I love that stuff. And I, I just whenever I go to, and it's not often. Whenever I I, I, I see some beautiful Baroque art, like at St. Peter's. I rejoice, and it really lifts my spirit upwards. And we can talk about this more in another episode. I think it's a great, great topic. Thanks to everybody who called in. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Kale took your phone calls. Go Bills! Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.